Hello to all of you and welcome back to the Common Sense Gospel. I am Danny Simmons. And I'm Kurt Norbert. And today we are talking about the trials of Elijah. 1 Kings chapter 19 is where we'll be for the majority of our conversation today. But as we move into this moment of time in 1 Kings 19, it's good to set up uh, all that is happening in Elijah's life. He is a prophet of God. Um, he has just, as you step into chapter 19, he is just walking away from, running away from, a contest that took place between Elijah himself and the 450 prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. Uh, and that all begins in 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 20. Elijah asked the people in 1 Kings 18, how long will you falter between two opinions? Serve, serve God or, or don't. And it, he challenges them, them there. He gets the 450 prophets of Baal to meet him and to have this contest about whose God is real, whose God will respond when you pray to him. And uh, the prophets of Baal fail miserably. It's Elijah's turn. He rebuilds the altar of the Lord. And they lay that ox on that altar. He pours water on it. Then he pours water on the altar. Then they bring more water, and he pours water around the trench, around the base of the altar. And God uh, performs a, a miraculous work of fire coming down from heaven. It has not rained for about three years at this mm -hmm. point. Mm -hmm. So not a cloud in the sky, sunny day, and fire comes pouring down out of a blue sky from all we can tell because Elijah's going to ask his servant, go and see if there are any clouds, and he yeah. keeps telling him there's no clouds. Mm -hmm. So it, it, anyway, there's fire rains down. God has demonstrated his power, who he is, and that Elijah is truly his servant. And the people fall to their face. They praise God. They worship God. And they say, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. They say it twice in verse 39. And so as we pick up here, uh, after Elijah has executed the prophets of Baal at, Mount, at uh, the brook of Kishon, um, Ahab goes back to Jezebel and tells him what Elijah had done with the prophets and the miraculous event that took place. Jezebel's not happy. She sends word to Elijah that she's going to have him killed by this time tomorrow. And that, that's actually in 1 Kings 19. So, so we're going to read that. And what we want to watch and take note of as we go through this chapter together is where Elijah is. You know, he just had this great victory. I mean, there's just no doubt. The whole nation has witnessed this and, and bore witness to the fact that he is a prophet of God and that God is in full control. And he seems to almost instantly, because of the pressure from Jezebel, which I understand that she is the queen, he seems to just flip over it and just become somebody else, almost instantly it seems. And so we, we want to look at that and see what the challenges were for him and how we can guard ourselves against that. Is there anything that you have before we step into 19 in verse 1 about Elijah or anything I may have missed? No, I just think, uh, I think one of the sources of, of that flip that you mentioned and that we're going to see in chapter 19 is that Perhaps he expected with this great demonstration from God and his, the affirming of him as God's spokesman to the people and the people's reaction, like just they, they fall down on the Lord, he's, he's God. And then they go ahead and kill the prophets like they're supposed to, according to the law. Mm -hmm. uh, that he expected that finally there's going to be some results. Israel's going to turn. Mm -hmm. how, how can they not ignore this and and come back to the Lord and yet the first thing he hears about is Jezebel's threat so that sets the stage then for uh, 
uh, all of the events, the amazing events that take place in, in chapter 19. Right now, uh, he's, he's fearful. Yeah. That is his reaction to Jezebel. That's right. And um, we can look at, uh, in a few minutes, what that does to a person. Absolutely. So again, Jezebel's going to threaten him. Chapter 19, 1 Kings 19 and verse 1, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. Also, how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. He's got 24 hours based on mm -hmm. what she said there. When he saw that, he arose and ran for his life, and he went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. So that's how this starts. Jezebel has issued this royal decree. It is a threat against the life of Elijah. He sees it, he hears it, and he's running. Uh, he even left his servant behind, the servant who went out to look to see if the clouds that were coming. When you know, again, Another miracle, the great rain had mm -hmm, come. Mm -hmm. Jezebel sees that too, and she's, she is not swayed by any of that. She wants her prophets that she pays to give her the word that she wants to hear. You know, whatever the prophets of Baal did for her, she wanted that life more than all of the evidence that God had shown. Yeah. And the fact that Ahab came back from the event of the fire coming down before it rained tells her about it. And it, again, it doesn't seem to have an impact on Ahab either. He yeah. seems okay with all this. Which, which shows us how, how thorough and dangerous unbelief can be. Yeah. When you set your heart against God, uh, you know, we always hear people saying, well, if God did this or he did that or he wrote his name in the sky or something like this, then I'd believe. Well, <laughs> here you have these two great miracles, God devouring not only the sacrifice but the altar and the water with fire that comes just out of nowhere in the sky, and then the deluge that That's brings right. an end to three years of drought. Yeah. Uh, it absolutely had no effect on Ahab and Jezebel. They were set in their rebellion and opposition to God, and it doesn't matter what miracle takes place. It's just not going to change their minds. No, that's not, I don't agree with that, so get it, yeah. get it out of here. And the Pharisees affirmed that, uh, well, Jesus affirmed it uh, in Israel when he said uh, in the parable with the... Uh, the rich man and, and Lazarus in Luke 16, uh, Abraham tells the rich man, neither will they believe even if one, one rises from the dead. Hmm. And we see that. Jesus rose from the dead. The evidence was incontrovertible. Uh, the Jews did not oppose it. They right. did not reject it. They came up with an excuse. And, and it didn't change their unbelief. It's typical so, of human nature. Yeah, it doesn't matter what's done before your eyes. If it's not what you want, you'll figure out a way to deny it. That's right. And so she has, and now his life is in danger. Verse 4 now, remember he, mm. he left his servant when, when he uh, went to Beersheba. Verse 4 says, But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die. And he said, It is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Uh, this is the low point uh, so far. <laughs> where he has said to himself, or I'm sorry, in prayer, he says, mm -hmm. it is enough, let, let me die here. One, one thing about um, 
the martyr complex, uh, being discouraged, you know, getting, uh, he has a, re a reason to feel the way he does because of the pressure that's upon him. There are soldiers who have been given an order to kill this man. And that, you know, it's hard to put yourself there. Those things don't happen to us. But if the government was out to, to take your life and you knew it, yeah. I mean, what, nothing can help you. No one can help you. There's no way to stop it. And so he's kind of, as you said, fear has overtaken him. He's, he's consumed in this. And so he says it is enough. But the beautiful thing about Elijah for us is that if we back up, the reality is, is that Elijah, I'm sorry, Elijah is about to meet Elisha. Yeah. And, and they're going to work Not together. Very far, yeah. So, mm -hmm. you know, in this moment, he's like, I, just kill me. I don't, I, don't, I don't think I can go any further. It's, it's over. No, no. Elisha's somewhere and you're going to go, you're going to be sent to meet him. Elijah is the only human being we have record of who, st who stands with Enoch, who did not see mm. death. Mm -hmm. So he, he, yeah. he wants to miss that too. It, not only is he not going to die now, he's not going to die. Yeah, period. He will not <laughs> see death, and he doesn't know that. Right. Um, and how is, how is he brought up into heaven? Do you remember? Uh, a chariot of the Lord swept him up. In <laughs> a fact, chariot that of was fire. The, that was the sign, because uh, Elisha asked for a double portion of your spirit. And Elijah says, well, you're asking for a lot, but if you see if me, you see me yeah. taking, up, taking up by the chariot of God, then you've, your request is granted. Yes. And so sure enough, that's what happened. A heavenly chariot of fire yeah. takes Elijah into heaven. Again, he would have missed that if, if he would have had his way. Uh, he's going to appear before Jesus Christ and talk with him on the Mount of Transfiguration. Mm -hmm. Yes. And he, so, you know, and God doesn't tell him all that. Like, well, hold on. It's not over. There's, I got a lot <laughs> yeah. more for you to yep. do. Yep. It's not for him to know because no. then it wouldn't be by faith. It would That's be right. that he was given this list of here's all the great things you'll do. And the Lord wants wants him and needs him to go through this time uh, to learn to trust God. He is not finished. He is, however, worn out. He's discouraged. He's afraid. He's on the run. And, and as I mentioned earlier, we want to draw this parallel between Elijah and ourselves. And we have the scriptural authority to do so because we look at Elijah and all the great things that he's done, even just on Mount Carmel, and we say to ourselves, I do, if I could only be like Elijah, you know, I'd love to be like Elijah. What would it be like to be that kind of a man? Mm -hmm. Just with just with the events and what God called him to do, James 5.17 says Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So James, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, you're just like Elijah. Mm -hmm. Stop. Stop. Don't put him up on a pedestal where he doesn't belong. He had highs and lows. Yes. We watched the Lord deal with him. And so that, that's there for us too. The Bible is clear that he, has, he had a nature that is just like ours. And self-pity doesn't serve you. So in this moment, he cries out to God. He says, I'm no better than my fathers. He, you know, mm -hmm. He's been traveling. Yeah. He's had time to think about this. He feels like a failure here. Yeah. I, I let you down or I, it just didn't work out. But like you say... He's he's looking at the immediate picture, yes, not the big picture that God has in store. That's right. And he one other thing is that he because he f ran and fled for his life and went to Beersheba. We see no instruction from God here to go to Beersheba. Right. He just split. So he's on his own here, at least to some degree. Um, he is praying, but he's asking for his life to end. Verse five. Then as he lay and slept under a broom tree. Suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank 
and he lay down again. In his obedience to God earlier, as you had mentioned as we were discussing this, you know, during the famine, in his obedience to the Lord, going where he was told to go, God fed him with ravens, mm-hmm. by ravens. Yeah. Uh, he went and stayed with a widow for a while. Here in, in this picture, of a small picture of rebellion where he's kind of just running and he's not, you know, doesn't seem to be tuned into what God wants from him. Uh, now in, in his pain, an angel. God, God doesn't send a raven this time. It's an angel who touches him and says, arise and eat. And I think there's a beautiful picture about the Lord. He's tenderly assisting Elijah here. And I think, I think yes. that's a beautiful thing. And also it says, when he tells Elijah to rise and eat, it says Elijah looked and there by his head was cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So this is angel food cake. <laughs> Uh, we'll have to get a drum set in here, Danny, if you keep this up. <laughs> uh, Let us continue. <laughs> Verse 7, And the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose, he ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that, of that food 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. Here's a, a significant arrival. Horeb is is kind of a centerpiece, uh, both in the Old and the New Testament, because in the New Testament it's, it's contract, uh, contrasted with Mount Sinai, uh, uh, being bound and free, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul draws the analogy in, in Galatians. But here's where Moses went and met God and was given his mission uh, over objections. God prepared him. That's right. And uh, he was on the mountain for 40 days receiving the law and bringing it back down to the people. This is where Israel stood at the mountain uh, waiting to hear the word of the Lord, and God's preparing them for their mission. Same thing's happening to Elijah here. He's going to meet God. He's going to be reminded of who God is and given a, a new mission going to be refocused by God uh, and told, here's what I want you to do. You, you have a job, so let's get to work, which really is the best way to come out of uh, what you described as a pity party, Yeah. which is what, is what is going on. Oh, Lord, look at me. I'm all alone. Just kill me now. It's all over. You know, I, I can't do anything else. <laughs> yeah. And God says, Elijah, what are you doing here? Yeah. You're not, you're not in Israel where you're supposed to be. Of course, God had directed him to Horeb, but he's, he's giving a chance <clears throat> to Elijah to maybe vent, uh, express his frustrations, get it all out. You know, okay, let's, let's, let's clear the air here. <clears throat> and so Elijah tells him, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts and for the children of Israel. Uh, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek my life. Well, that all is only partially true. But uh, uh, we see here, as you mentioned, that God is going to deal tenderly with Elijah because he's not in a good place emotionally. He is depressed. He's disappointed. Uh, he's ready to just give up. He's scared. Yeah, he's frightened which shows us 
again, we've mentioned this in previous podcasts, how dangerous an enemy fear is for the godly person. Once fear gets into the picture, it clouds your judgment, it weakens your faith, it will distract us from God's counsel and from his provision. We're, we're no, no, no longer looking for him to supply the need. We're now worried about what's going on around us and yeah. worried about things we really have no control over. Right. And especially over the last two or three years, we've seen that, I believe, really have its effect on God's people. Absolutely. Not just society Everyone. at large. Everyone. Yeah. But yeah, God's people, uh, we reacted with fear in a lot of cases. And there are some, unfortunately, who haven't recovered from that. They allowed that to take them away from the Lord. Others, hopefully, came through it stronger because then they realized God really does have control of this situation and, and, and I need to trust in him. So here's Elijah, tired, hungry, and depressed. God gives him rest and provision for the journey to Horeb. And so now he gets to meet God in reality. That's right. And that, that picks up in verse 11. I, I wanted to say, too, just that the food the angel gave to him or set before him, he went in the strength of that food for 40 days. Yeah. I mean, imagine what your grocery bill would look like. <laughs> if yeah. one, and I mean, that, that's a recipe we can't duplicate. Yeah. But 40 days, this man is walking and like not hunger doesn't strike him where he's like, I better take a break. Or he may have gotten tired. We don't know that. But he walked in the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights. And that is amazing to me. He is on his way to Horeb. And again, this is how the Lord in obvious ways here, tends to his people to get mm-hmm. them where he needs them to be. They're going to make it. Yep. We, and as you said, with fear and all that, we've got this uh, emergency pressing on us that we think has to be dealt with now. And the Lord, he's not confound yeah, he's, by time. He's in control of it all. Yeah. He knows how all this ends. Mm-hmm. And so it's in his hands. And all of that is, is good to see. Elijah's still going to, you know, have 40 days to walk and not eat anything else? And that didn't cross his mind as maybe God's not done with me. I mean, he's still, when we get to 11, um, he's going to kind of re-rehearse what you read for us in verse 10. He says to the Lord, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. That is true. Yes. The children of Israel have forsaken your covenant. That is true. They have torn down your altars. Also true because mm-hmm. he just rebuilt it on Mount Carmel. Mm-hmm. They have killed your prophets with the sword. That is true. I alone am left. Nah, not true. Yeah, okay. That is not true. We need to clarify that. And he says, and they seek to take my life. So he's basically telling the Lord, you know, I am your prophet. And if something happens to me, you are going to be a nonprofit organization. You're in a groove, Danny. <laughs> might, we might have to skip that groove. <laughs> we can always edit this stuff. Yeah. Uh, verse 11, then he said, this is the Lord says to him, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. So it was when Elijah heard it 
Then he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? I, I, this is one of those moments to me in Scripture where we need to understand what's happening. I think, you know, you said it so well that the Lord is graciously dealing with Elijah. He really is. He tells him to come stand out before the Lord, and so he, so he comes out, and it, there's just these, again, miraculous things that happen in front of Elijah's eyes. I mean, can you even imagine wind blowing so hard that it splits yeah. the mountains? Yeah. This, that's, what kind of wind are we talking about? Yeah, that'd have to be a tornado. <laughs> and just, stronger than that? Yeah. Because mountains don't get torn in half. Yeah. Wind can't do that. And yet this wind somehow splits the rocks in pieces before the Lord. And, and then, it's, then the Bible says, the Lord's not in the wind. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is something else. This is a, a symptom of, of uh, maybe the outcome of what God can do. That's not where he is. Then there's the earthquake. And, and, you know, when you're in an earthquake, if anything will get you out of a cave, it's an earthquake, <laughs> yes, isn't it? That's right. I don't want to be under all those rocks. So the earthquake shakes the earth. The Lord's not in the earthquake. And then fire again. Fire is demonstrated in front of Elijah in some magnificent way. God's not in the fire either. And where is God? He comes to Elijah in a still, small voice. And, I, you know, that just bring a tear to your eye because he's scared. He's worried. Uh, he thinks he's alone. And he's, he's been walking for 40 days wondering where God is and all. You know, what's he doing? What's, what, what is this about? Why am I in the middle of this? Whatever it is that we all work out in our minds. I can tell you one thing, that when the Lord asked him, what are you doing here? His statement to the Lord sounds pretty rehearsed. Yeah, it's he's exactly the same as he. <laughs> yeah. Well, to, to, to reiterate, Lord, yeah, let me, it's what I said before. Right. So here's yeah. the problem. I don't you know if you heard me the first time, but this is what's going on. It, it just seems rehearsed, so he's got all this time to think about these things, and it, it's, he's plagued by it. And so God comes to him in a still, small voice, and it reminds me so much of Samuel when Samuel was just a little boy. And oh, Eli, yeah. Eli's in the temple. That, mm-hmm. you know, Samuel's learning how to tend to the needs of the, the place there in, in Shiloh. And the Lord comes to Samuel as a child and says, Samuel, and he, he gets up and he runs into Eli and he says, yes, Lord, you what called you, me. What did you want? Yeah. And Eli says, I didn't call you. Yeah. Go lay down. <laughs> so just imagine this little boy. And so a second time, Samuel. And he comes to Eli again and says, yes, Lord, you called me. And he says, I did not call you. But Eli realizes something yeah, else is he's happening. He's getting a clue. Yeah. And he says, next time, if your name is called, say, speak, Lord, for your servant heareth. And so Samuel, you know, as a prophet, the third time, Samuel. And so Samuel lays in his bed as a little boy, and he says, Speak, Lord, for your servant heareth. And I mean, and there it's, it starts the ball rolling. Yeah, Samuel's life Samuel, as a prophet. One of the great. Yeah. A judge to lead God's people the way that he did with mm-hmm. such fervor for God. And, and so the Lord knows who, who Elijah is here, and this is what he needs. And so he gives him what he needs. He speaks to him in a still, small voice. And so the question in 13, what are you doing here, Elijah? And so 14 repeats verse 10. He said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Then the Lord said to him, Go return on your way to the, to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, anoint Haziel, a king over Syria. Also, you shall anoint Jehu, 
the son of Nimshi, is king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel, Mahola, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. It shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, Jehu will kill, and whoever escapes the, the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So there's yep. the part Elijah couldn't see, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, to me, it's interesting how the Lord deals with this. After uh, Elijah repeats his objections and you know his concerns, the Lord doesn't even discuss it. Uh, he just says, go, yeah. return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. There's, there's the solution when someone's in a situation like this. You need to get focused and get back to work. That's right. And so uh, he tells him what he needs to do. And then, of course, he uh, reassures him that he is not alone, that, that he is not the only one left. God reminds him or, or reveals to him that I have 7,000 in Israel. Uh, I don't know if that was a literal number or not, but the point is God is telling Elijah, there's more here than you see and you know. That's exactly right. You, you have reinforcements. In fact, go anoint Elisha as your successor. He's, he's going to be your, your helper at first. You're going to mentor him. Then he's going to be your successor. So... <laughs> God takes care of it all. Okay, got your message, Elijah. Get up and go. I've got a helper for you. Go meet him. Take care of that. And remember that you're not going to be alone. Yep. There are still a faithful remnant in Israel. And that's an important lesson, I think, for us. Any period of history that you look at concerning God's people, and whatever situation they're in, here with Israel, uh, rampant, just bestial idolatry, hard-hearted ungodliness on the part of the rulers, and yet there's still a faithful remnant. That's right. There is still a group that God is going to work with, and you see that all through the scriptures. When Jesus uh, came into the flesh, you see that faithful remnant, Simeon the prophet and Anna the prophetess, uh, Joseph and Mary, mm -hmm. Zacharias and Elizabeth. Yep. And then as, as when they go when they when Jesus grows uh, and calls his disciples, when Philip goes and gets Nathaniel, Jesus says, Behold an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no guile. Here's one of the remnant. So there's always that remnant there. We should never feel alone. That's right. We are never the only one. Even if we are the only human involved, we're the last Christian left on the face of the earth. We still have God. That's right. Jesus is still with us. So we're not alone. You're never alone. Yeah. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So all of his objections are, are taken care of. Get up. Go back. I've got, here's a, here are some tasks for you to perform. I'm going to give you a helper. And you have allies in Israel. <laughs> so, so get back to work. And he, he says, anoint Jehu, uh, son of Nimshi. Jehu is going to be the one who kills Jezebel. Yes. He, well, he tells the Jezebel yeah. servants, pitch her out the window. Throw her out, yeah. <laughs> and so they do. And then he tramples the remains with the horse and lets the dogs take care of That's the rest. That's right. What a lovely lady. When As soon as they're given an opportunity, they throw, throw out a, a, a window. And he runs over her in his chariot, Jehu does. Mm -hmm. And then he backs up over her. 
So he, you know, that's just that double. Yeah, yeah. I'm showing sure everyone who's boss here. Yes, <laughs> we're going to make sure <laughs> it, it fulfills prophecy, like so, you said. And they're, you know, his Elijah's greatest enemies, Jezebel and Ahab. Gone. God says, "I'm taking care of that too." Yeah. So no, no more roadblocks, Elijah. Understand where you're at. Here's the solution. Get up and go to work. I'm going to provide for you everything you need. Get to work. That's exactly right. And so there it is. And I think if if we as we make an application for ourselves, we back up and look at what we've read, what we've talked about. N- number one, one of the things that was plaguing this man, Elijah, is that uh, he had an obvious disappointment in others. The people in chapter 18 weren't serving God, and he had to rebuke them there. As you said, he thought, okay, now everyone's on the right page here with the Lord. Then he's going to be killed by Jezebel because Ahab tells Jezebel everything. You know, Ahab, what a coward. Yeah. And so there's disappointment in others, and that's what brings us down too. I I needed someone else to be there for me, and so it it hurts. Yes. It has an effect on us. We don't want to deny that. Then he's got, Elijah has unexpected opposition in Jezebel because she doesn't want to change her sinful life. And if she kills him, then she can keep doing what she's doing. Mm -hmm. But as long as he's around, she's got a problem, right? Doesn't Ahab call Elijah the troubler of Israel? The troubler of Israel, yeah. It's that same concept. And so he's got this opposition, and it's it's the royalty of the nation, so it's not a small problem. Then to compound that, he is deep in self-pity. And when that pity party begins, it's hard to stop. Because we yep. we're already there, and then everything that's happening around us is just evidence. Just we feed it. Yeah. No one likes me. This is the, I've had it worse off than anyone that's ever lived before, and, and and we have just enough evidence to to kind of play that card, and we shouldn't because when you engage yourself in self pity, you are no longer glorifying God. Yep. You are selfish as you can be, and and I I've I've had a lot of self pity in my life, so I'm not. Yelling at anybody, I'm talking to myself. Yeah, we all do it. It's self-centered. Yeah. It's not. It's not godly, and and we are not an effective tool for him in our own self-pity. They don't work together, and so we can't deceive ourselves in that. But from that point, what I see in Elijah is he was given food by the angel of the Lord that sustained him, and then he walked a long way. So, mm-hmm. if you're having trouble with disappointment, self-pity, those things, exercise. It's it's proven fact. Yes, yes, that's right. Eat right. Yep. And exercise. It's it's right there in front of us. And then evaluate yourself because if if you can sit down and have an honest conversation, what am I doing here? That's exactly what God asked Elijah. Yep. Why do I feel this way? What are the things that are troubling me? And then deal with those systematically. Get, get in front of those and say, I'm not letting this happen anymore because I'm not who I'm supposed to be. So evaluate yourself honestly. Maybe even get the help or the assistance of someone else. Um, and then just as you said with the Lord, as I'm turning away from self-pity and eating right and exercising, um, I am des- desiring to see visible results. I want to see that I'm improving. Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 7, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he mm-hmm. shall direct your paths. And so we have to know, as you said, I am not alone, and I have to stop telling myself that. We are supposed to endure hardship and difficulty. That's part of our walk as Christians. So when it comes, you know, how, how silly is it to be like, well, what? I didn't know this was going to happen. I, you know, life is much harder now that I'm a Christian. Get over yourself. No, it's not. 
You're in the middle of something that God wants you to go through. Yes. And he's trying to chisel away at you and make you who you're supposed yep. to be. Count it all joy when you experience manifold trials. <laughs> exactly. Why? Because it's going to develop patience. That's right. And that, that develops persistence and, and perseverance. So the Lord is helping you to grow. That's, that's the bottom line. Yeah. He's trying to help you to become a better person and a better servant. So whatever is happening, God is acting for your good. He wants you to do better. That's what he wants for you. Yeah. And it's so easy for us to slip into uh, the trap here that Elijah fell into. And I like how you reminded us of, of James' inspired point that he's just like us. Mm-hmm. Elijah was just a man. You look at the, the amazing career he had as a prophet, and you're thinking, wow, this guy is super saint. You know, he's, he's, yeah. he's down with it. Well, no, he he experienced the roller coaster of human emotions, but God showed the way out of it. Get yourself refocused. Ask ask yourself that question, like you said. What am I doing here? Why am I in this mindset? I need to grab that by the horns and, and give that to God and get out of it. That's right. Um, it's not helping me. Yeah, and that's one thing I saw in Lithuania. People there were really, truly, deeply concerned about the situation in Ukraine. Yeah. They felt it as a direct threat. And for them, it is. We, we don't see that here, but it is. And my last sermon before I left was, don't be anxious, hmm. out, of, out of Philippians. Be anxious for nothing. Don't worry about it. Pray about it, give it to God, and then His peace will guard your heart. The peace right. that passes understanding will guard your heart. From what? That anxiety. Mm-hmm. So heed the Lord's direction. Look at where you are. Get up. Get back to work. Remember you're not alone. And obey the Lord. That's what Elijah did. That's exactly He didn't right. continue to sit there, oh, but Lord, I'm, I'm going to keep whining. Yeah. No, he got up and went back to Damascus and found Elisha and, and did the things that the Lord wanted him to do. That's exactly right. And, and we have to. Yeah, that's going to get your well. mind off all that. Just get back to work serving right. the Lord. That's right. We talked about, too, that, you know, we, we the, it's often said that I'm on fire for the Lord. That we understand that imagery. It's God's word is a fire in my bones is what Jeremiah had said. And so there, there's this picture of fire and that we... We can feel the burning within us because we, we, know, we know the Lord. We know what he's done for us. And, and there's, a, there's a relationship, there's a connection that is very real for us, and there's a burning. And so one way to look at this as I evaluate myself is if I'm, if I'm in this fire that burns for the Lord, am, am I kindling, am, you know, am I a thin sheet of paper that burns quickly and burns hot but, but is quickly gone? Am I a stick that burns but doesn't last very long or am I one of those giant logs you know that that burns and burns and burns just a steady fire that's endurance yes and it's not a fire that reacts to every little thing because the because of the log uh, it's not going to go out the the log is is lit it's going to hold the fire it will sustain the fire and that's that's who I want to be I want to be that big thick log and I can only be that log, not not by my own strength, but in my faith in that God God is who He says He is, and He is with me. And so I, it's a good way to look at it. You know, which which one am I? Again, that evaluation. Mm-hmm. I can look at the fire and say, which one am I sitting in that fire? I know what I want to be, but I shouldn't lie to myself about how quickly I 
react poorly to mm. ad- adversity or whatever else may come my way. Um, and then we, we should trust in God's power because, as we pointed out with Elijah, there's so much that he doesn't know. Yeah. I, I can't stop thinking about him being on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus yeah. and Moses. That is That day is coming for him, and he's like, oh, you know, poor me. That's ridiculous. You, you're one of the greatest characters in all of Scripture. Stand up and act like it. It's, and it's, a tra- it's the same for us. The, but we have to remember that there's some things that God has not said in front of us to say, hey, is this okay with you? You know, it, there's going to be a little, you're going to be sidelined for a little bit, but I'm doing something over here. Is that okay? You know, he's not, he, that's not who he is. Right. And we don't need to know that. We have to have faith. And so I, I don't want any of us to lose our confidence in God's power. And again, the way the Lord treated Elijah here, he didn't slap him around. Mm-hmm. Uh, and say, Come on, you know, you're a prophet. Get up and, you know, quit acting like a baby. Yeah. He was gentle with him. Okay. He, he helped him where he needed. He understands. But he was firm. It was tough love. He, he, didn't, he didn't let Elijah wallow in this. No. Nope. He heard him out and said, okay, go. Here's what you're going to do. Here are some things I want you to do. Go do them. And 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 as you go. I'm going to enable you. Yes. And I'm going to provide what you need. So there again, the the Lord will deal with us lovingly but firmly because he's going to direct us in the path that's better for us. He's not going to let us wallow in whatever cesspool we've made for ourselves. That's right. And it may be unpleasant coming out of that, but it's for our good. It is always for our good. And it, the fact that he says, I have reserved 7,000. He, he's not like, I did a quick head count and this is what I can. He, they, all of it's intentional. I have reserved. Yeah. We, we talk about the remnant. They're, they're that, already there. Yeah, yeah. Our, our heart's dedicated to God, but he, he's doing something in that. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, it's very, again, it's short-sighted to say, I'm faithful and I'm doing this and I'm doing that. Well, no, God's doing something through you yeah. and with you. And that's a great thing. Yeah. So I, and, I like and that he's he says, got more people on your side too. So I, I kind of took three things away from this lesson there. I'm sure there's much more, but the three things that I drew from this is, again, the destructiveness of fear, mm-hmm. how it distorts our view of the situation and it disrupts our dependence on God. So we have to be on guard against that. The second is something we've emphasized uh, repeatedly in this, and I think it needs to be, repeated is that God lovingly provides what we are going to need in order for us to overcome and to grow in our faith and grow in our service to him and become a more effective servant, a more useful servant for him. And then thirdly, in that beautiful picture when he had him go outside the cave and stand here and then put on this miraculous display for him, for me, in all of the turmoil of life, when the storms are blowing and the earthquake is shaking and the, the fires all around us and we just don't know what's going on, God is telling us, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations and I'll be exalted in the earth, Psalm 46.10. Yeah. God is a God of peace. And in the midst of the storms, if we'll just trust in him, he'll give us that peace. Again, Philippians 2, we'll have the peace that is in Jesus Christ that passes understanding. And that will help us to refocus and get back on our feet. God is, God is in the quiet place, and that's where we need to go meet him.
Be still and know that I am God. That's right. The Lord is on his throne. Let all the earth keep silence before him. It's such a beautiful thing because it calms it calms everything down for me. If one, once you say that to yourself, I I got a million things going on. I'm scared to death. What I need to do right now is be still. That is such yeah. an amazing thing. God, He'll handle it. Mm-hmm. As you said, First Peter five seven, cast all of your cares upon Him, for He cares for you. It, you know, it, that's that's a picture of who He is. He, he wants to hear. He wants to hear from you, and uh, He knows about your problems. He already knows. Yes, but talk to him because you need you need that yep. to happen as well. You need to get it out, and you need you need to talk to him about it. You need to say it to somebody who can do something about That's it. That's right. Which is really again, it's such a comforting thing. So there's so much to learn from Elijah. That that was wonderful, and from all I can see, that we went through these eighteen verses together and, and saw a man uh, in one of the most difficult moments in his life, and what what it reveals to us. We need, to, we need to be careful when these things come upon us and respond in a way that's godly. Um, I have a couple of questions for you that I'm just itching to Okay, well, throw I, your way. I have something to, to give back to you. Okay, these are questions, so, right, from the Bible? Yes, our, 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 our uh, post-discussion trivia. Trivia, sweet trivia. So let's okay. have you go first. Oh, okay. Um, Acts chapter 9 tells us uh, uh, that Peter had left Jerusalem and he was on his way south. He stopped in the city of Joppa. And whose home did he lodge in there? A man who shared his name. Ah, indeed. Simon. Peter? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Simon the Tanner. Simon the Tanner. Which is interesting because <laughs> tanners were considered unclean. I know. And he, here's this whole thing where he's up on Simon's roof and God gives him the vision of the sheep full of unclean animals. So the whole the whole lesson is beginning right here. Yep, yeah. Simon the Tanner. That's Acts chapter 9, verse 43. Good. That's a good question. Um, who promised, number one, who promised Jesus that he would go to prison and even die with him? Oh, that was, <laughs> that was Simon. <laughs> this time identified as Peter. <laughs> That's right. Peter. We're on a Peter roll here. <laughs> Luke twenty two thirty three. Yeah, Peter says, Lord, because he says, I, I know these other guys. Yeah, I'm ready I, to die. I've been yeah. watching them, and you and I agree they're pretty weak, but not me. Yep. I will go to prison. I will die with you. Yeah. And Jesus says, no, actually, the cock will crow three times. And you, yeah. when the cock crows, you will have denied me three times. Yeah. So he, and, you know, I don't, I don't doubt Peter's sincerity. No. What he was doing here, though, is, Lord, I'm willing to serve you on my terms. Yeah. I'm willing to die. I'll go to prison and I'll die. Well, Peter, that's not what I want you to do. Yeah. Here's what's going to happen. Similar and to Elijah, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's going to be a, a traumatic experience for you, but you're going to learn some things. He was super strong standing with the Lord, and when the Lord was being tried, yeah, he turned I'm into out a, of here. Yeah, yeah. servant girl scared him to death. Yeah. So fear, again. Yeah, fear. It, it just distorted everything for Peter. He there lost is. lost sight of the Lord. Okay, here's my, uh, my second question. This will be an Old Testament one. Uh, who was Phineas, and what is he noted for?
I believe I have a couple of things that I want to connect his name to, but I'm going to say he's the one when the Jewish man had come in with his pagan wife, Phineas pierced both of them with a spear. Yes. Uh-huh. Put them to death because it, it says they, they stood in front of Moses, this married couple. Yeah, they just, an open affront. So isn't he also um, in line to be the high priest? Well, yeah, he is uh, the son of Eliezer. Okay. The, who, the, who is the high the priest? The priest, yes. Uh, and he was actually Aaron's grandson, so he's right there in the lineage. Nice, man. And, and uh, God says that he made atonement for the children of Israel. He, yeah. was, he, was, zealous he was zealous with my Lord. zeal. Uh, and what he did, of course, is this is in Numbers 25, 6 through 13. As you said, he, right in Moses and therefore God's face, this guy brings in a pagan wife, which the law said you are not to do. And so Phineas, when they go into the tent to do their thing, he grabs a spear and runs in there and thrusts them both through to the ground. And God rewarded him and said, you'll never have uh, someone who won't stand before me uh, in priestly service. So, That's amazing. Uh, yeah, Phineas, uh, a great, you know, kind of a passing character, mm-hmm. but a great example of zealous obedience to the Lord. He, he was carrying out what the Lord had said to do in the law. What a so guy. good. Yeah, two for two on your part. All right, well, here you go. Mine is also Old Testament. Joseph, son of Jacob. That's okay. who we're talking about. Okay. Who is Joseph's brother who had the same mother and the same father? Benjamin. Very good. That was quick, man. Benjamin, Genesis 43, 29, Genesis 44, 27 through 28. We also know that Rachel, uh, Joseph's mother, has Benjamin on the side of the road. She actually dies in labor having Mm -hmm. Benjamin. So there's a lot of places where the scriptures tell us that they were actual brothers. Yep, full-blooded brothers. Mom and dad the same. So awesome. Man, we did great. Uh, gold stars all around yeah looking good good well we hope that you've enjoyed this uh podcast and the time that we spent together we certainly do we always do and we we looked at a a person that god has seen fit to set before us uh, to consider his life and, and the challenges the great challenges that he faced not to make light of those but to draw that parallel in our own lives and to say i've seen this before in someone else's life as we look at elijah i know what to do i'm going to evaluate myself. I'm going to get back to work. I'm going to serve the Lord with all my heart. He will not fail me. We hope this is a blessing to you and that your week uh, is an encouraging one. That You live strong and faithfully in the word of God as you move forward from this time.